The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Here's the deal with this message, because we generally will go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. We have to move slowly in the beginning, because this subject is something that oftentimes the church doesn't talk about, or I've heard this subject talked about um, what what I view as pretty poorly. So we're going to take God's word at face value. Uh, We're going to pray, and then we'll jump into this morning's message about sex and God. So pray with me. Father, uh, I have prayed for this week because the subject matter can seem so sensitive or taboo. People don't know whether to, at times, perhaps laugh or cry in the sense of shame and guilt around this topic in the lives of many people can crush a soul. So I pray that today you would teach us why you created sex, that you would show us through your word why you have rules for sex and what those mean for our lives, for for those of us who fell short, for those of us who have questions now, for those of us who are married, for those who are singled, for those who are divorced, for those who have desires that, uh, that Christians in times past would condemn greatly with hatred. Lord, help us to navigate these over the next couple of months. Help us, Lord, to be true to your word and not fear the opinions of man or politicians. Lord, help us to understand your teachings on this subject matter. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. So if you missed season one of Corinthians, it was a lot about church drama, a lot about things that go wrong in churches, and a lot of you uh, shared with me the things and experiences you've had that broke down your perception of the church. And Paul shifts gears very quickly. Paul's the author of this book in Corinthians, uh, Corinthians Gone Wild, and he shifts gears, and he starts dealing with some of the sinful issues that are in the Corinthian church. But before we even talk about sex, I need us to think about something that I've been pondering for a couple of days, and that is family rules. We all have different family rules. And if you don't know this, it's because you haven't made friends yet. But I I remember so clearly, as you grow old, and there's somewhere between like 5 and 10, and you start going to other people's houses, and you realize their family has different rules than our family. Are you guys tracking? And, And I'll give you a couple practical examples I've seen just in this area. For example, if you raise your kid three miles that way, your child learns to drive approximately at the age of nine. I see them out there with their eyes peeking over the steering wheel, driving on gravel dirt ways. I see children operating tractors that I thought you had to have like a special training for. Now, if you move three miles this way, the family rules are you learn to drive in the chapel parking lot. And that's why you'll notice all of our trees have bumper marks on them. Some of you grew up in families where discipline was one way, and you realize, like, wait, other families do discipline differently. Like in my family, uh, we had different types of discipline. We had the mom is the most terrifying creature discipline. And I thought, man, my mom's so hard on me. But then I had a friend, and we were at a party once, and my friend's mom came into the party, started beating him with a slipper, and dragged him out of the party by the ear when he was 15 years old. I thought, his family rules are different than my family rules. I don't know how it works over there. In my family, we have rules about what you can and can't eat at what times of day. And I can't say the number of times when Savannah's sitting there in her Moana little onesie thing that she's got. And, uh, and it's always after a birthday time. And 
And the question will go something like this, like, Daddy, I just I want it. And I'll say, no, you can't have it. And she'll say, why? I say, because it's, it's 7 in the morning. And she'll say, but what difference does that make? And I say, just listen to me. I'm your father. Just be quiet. You can't eat cake and ice cream for breakfast. I know some of you say, why not? Different family rules, right? That's why you're not my daughter. You're welcome. No, no cake and ice cream for dinner. And then some of my kids are smart. They're like, but there's milk and ice cream, and I eat milk in my cereal. To which I say, shut your mouth, you logic brain person. That's the one downfall of teaching your kids to read. They can read. <laughs> so, man. Now, the reason I say this is because we're about to jump into a topic where there can be massive, massive differences even within the church. And some of you today will be like, no, I don't like, I don't like what, what you're saying about sexuality and sex according to God's word. Because right out of the gates in this morning's text in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul in this por- portion of scripture is not giving us a big definition. He's going right after an issue and he says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. You read that correctly. Some man was sleeping with his father's wife. Stepmom. Allegedly, we say that. as Scholars will say that because it sounds uncomfortable to say any other way. And then he says this. And you're arrogant. The Corinthian church saw a man sleeping with his father's wife. And they were haughty about it. They were like, yeah, look how, look how amazingly progressive we are. We are so addicted to God's grace that we even let these things go in our church gathering. And he says, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though, I, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now we have to like, we have to pause here. You're like, okay. So Ryan, what you're telling me is one of God's family rules is don't sleep with stepmothers. Yes. And some of you wipe your brow with relief. I'm in the clear. Haven't done that sin. The, the problem is, is that if you just jump into this text and you don't take into account the whole story of Scripture, we're going to load our idea of sexual things, sexual sin, into this verse. And some of us in here will have different views. Now, for the sake of protecting your anonymity, I'm just going to ask for general. What are general rules about sex that you might have heard in church, churches growing up? General rules. Oh, this is a not a rhetorical question. General rules about sex you may have heard in churches. Not till you're married, right? I've officiated many, 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 many weddings, and um, as time has gone on, it's rarer and rarer that I officiate a wedding where the two people have not already had sex, I, and it's it's different. But that's one of God's rules. Not till you're married. Okay. What what else is a rule? Man and woman. Okay. What else is a rule that you've heard? These are just rules you've heard. No one's judging you. No sex toys. That's a weird rule. That's different. I, I got saved in California, so I, I don't know. And I read the Song of Songs. We'll get there. 
Okay. Yeah, but that's th- uh, man and woman, don't have sex until you're married. How about some of the basic ones, like Ten Commandments? Don't have sex with someone who you're not married to. So not just like don't like wait till marriage because that leaves the door open for people that are crafty. Well, I got married and they got married to them. No, no, no. It's one to one. Now, we're going to look at why, and, and this, this message is going to be a little different because we have to slow all the way down to lay a foundation for the coming months. We have to understand what God created sex to be, so we're going to look at what sex is, what are God's family rules about sex, because they may be different from some of your family rules, and we're going to talk about not just the don'ts, because so often the church says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Do you know the Bible commands us to have sex? Yeah, yeah. When we get to that verse, I promise you 95% of the men in this room are going to change their life verse. (laughs) Well, sweetie, uh, I really like church this morning. The Bible says you are not to withhold sex from me unless we're going to pray and fast and then come together lest Satan tempteth us. Life verse. But we got to go way back. See, before we even talk about how Paul is dealing with this sexual immorality, about how Paul's enforcing the, the family rules that God has for the Corinthian church, we need to understand what sex is and how we got here. And, and whatever your background is, whatever your worldview, let's just, just ride with me for a minute and let's say that there is a creation order to this universe. Whatever you believe about Genesis, I, I don't care about that now. I need you to understand something, that, that we believe at the chapel that God is the creator of all things. And in the very beginning of the Bible, page one, God begins doing something very, very unique. God begins creating things that are opposite in a way, but they go together. God begins creating light and dark. They're different, but somehow they work together. God creates the land and the sea. God creates plants that that grow and then the animals. God creates animals on the ground and animals in the sky. And then God creates male and female. And I want us to to read from Genesis chapter 2 today. It'll be up on the screen or you can flip. It's the very first book in the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, you just flip all the way to the left, just past the table of contents. Because on page 2 of the Bible is where sex and sexuality enters in where there's this idea that things that are different yet the same come together in a unique way. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 says, The man, Adam, gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. We joke at the chapel often that the reason God made Eve was because he looked at men and saw that men were helpless without her. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, one of his ribs, and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woe man. (laughs) And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this, this. At last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Because Adam had been naming all the animals. Hippo girl, hippo boy, giraffe girl, giraffe boy. And then he looked down and he was like, I need something. And God said, I got you. And, and this is a different sermon, but I'm just pointing out, God took the rib. He didn't like take a pinky toe so that the man could be above her. He didn't take a piece of the skull so that she would dominate over him. He took a rib to make a helper, someone who's with him. 
It's a different sermon, but I need us to understand the complementarity of this, that God created men and women. We are similar, yet we are different, and God created us to fit together in a certain way. This is what we call sexuality, and we are the first and only part of creation that experiences this. Angels were created before us. They are spiritual beings with no physical bodies, and then the animals were created. They are physical beings with no eternal souls, and then God said, I'm making humans. 100% physical, 100% spiritual, and they're going to fit together in this amazing way for specific purposes, and I'm going to make them walking alongside one another, straight out of the ribs. Ribs protect my heart right here on this side. On this side, I don't know what major organs are there. I could probably live without that, so I think God took Amy from over here. And it's, it's fun to me to think about Think about the relationship of, of men and women. And to, to think about the fact that when God was creating all of this, he created Adam and he created Eve, and they're naked in a garden. And there's this, this constant tension in all of the creation poem. Because if you don't know that, the beginning of Genesis is a, is a Jewish poem. you got heaven and earth, light and darkness, morning, evening, sun, moon, all these things that are like different yet together. They work together in, in this symbiosis. But then it comes the really fun part. And it's not going to sound fun to you because we're reading it in English. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Brown chicken, brown cow. And the man and his wife were both naked, and key word, were not ashamed. As we continue to walk through this message this morning, some of you are going to feel shame from your past or present because of what you've done. As, as we lay out what God created for sexuality, you're going to think, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And I, unfortunately, I did this. I went down that path. We started out naked and unashamed. That's page two in the Bible. So what happened? Page three happened. Page three. You guys, we couldn't make it three pages in. That's like not even to the train that takes you to Hogwarts. Before this whole story gets messed up, sorry, I, I do Harry Potter references for the homeschooled people who are just now reading it. That's so mean to laugh at them, Don. You're judging people. By, I'd homeschool my own kids if my wife wouldn't murder them. Page three. Page three. So what happened? God gives us this gift this sexuality. And it was his idea. In case you didn't pick up on this, he created them naked, and then he gave them some tasks. Be fruitful and multiply. God was not surprised when they had sex for the very first time. And I, I'm, I need you to hear this. Some of you are thinking we should not be talking about this in church. We should, because you know who is talking about it? Everyone outside of the church. God didn't create them And look down at the man and say, what is that? (laughs) And I'm saying this to get you to laugh because the next part is that he created us to have sex. And I think it's so uh, funny and interesting that God's first thing, he's like, he creates us. And like right when he's done, he goes, and now be fruitful and multiply. And if Adam is anything like so many guys that I know, he couldn't pay attention to the rest of what God was saying. Oh, really? Like God's first commandment to Adam and Eve is like, you guys do this, I'll be back in 30 minutes. <laughs> Here's why this is important, because they're naked and unashamed. They're doing what God created them to do. 
And sex is not just for procreation. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But what happened was something twisted our sexuality because we were created as sexual beings. And when I say sexual, I don't just mean the act of sex. We are created as beings who come together as one flesh. And what God wrote down in the Bible thousands of years ago, we are just now catching up to. So if there's a nerd in the room, Google quantum entanglement. This is, I went down a dark rabbit hole this week. Quantum entanglement is this thing that happens where particles fit together in this subatomic way and they can affect each other even after they've connected and synced up. They affect each other even when they're not near each other. And marriage wasn't just created and sex wasn't just created so that we would have this ceremony where you wear a white dress and you go down and you spend a ton of money on food and some cake that tastes weird because it's covered in this saran wrapping stuff they called fondant. No, no, no. Marriage was created to unify and bring intimacy and start one flesh, or in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, one bios, one life, one entanglement. It's a mingling of souls. When you have sex with someone, you bind your life to them. And that doesn't just include the person that you said I do to. It includes every person that you have sex with ever. Now the youth pastor in me is like, let's do that thing. And you glue paper together with super glue, pink and blue, you glue them together, you leave them down, you keep teaching, and then you take them up and say, here's what it's like. Do you have sex with someone? It's like this, and you try to take apart two pieces of paper that have been super glued together, they, they just tear in pattern. Then you glue it to another blue and another pink paper, and you tear those apart, and by the end you just have shreds of paper that you can't discern, like blue, pink, warped, all messed up in there, and then everyone feels terrible, and then you altar call, and people come to Jesus for the 17th time. But sexuality is so much more than that. It's the rules in God's house are I've created you, male and female. And I've created it so that there's this quantum entanglement, this, this power that happens. So it's not just this physical thing that's casual and you leave. It's you and you who were two becoming one flesh. And it's not just for the moment that you're having sex. It's for all the moments. You're, you're now tied to and your soul is united to in some way the person that you sleep with because that's how God made it. And it doesn't matter. I don't think it matters if it's, if it's man and woman, man and man, woman and woman. I think that sex carries this power that God created. Now, I do think his rules are very clear. But I think the power of sex works across all of these different things. And, and I want to get to that now because what went wrong, page three. Because I, I believe that sex was designed for a specific purpose. And then all of a sudden, now we have for the first time in history, like for thousands and thousands of years, no one in the church, no one in the Jewish communities were arguing like, what are God's family rules for sex? Because they just read the Bible and they're like, seems pretty clear. But for the past 60 years, people have been twisting and warping and, and taking out words and we don't like this and we're going to read out this context and we can make the Bible to say a lot of things. But if you read the Bible at face value, it seems fairly clear what God's house rules are for this. You say, well, why, why then? Why, why would God give us this amazing gift? Why would God create these anatomical pieces for pleasure, but then say, but don't use them in this way or that way or this way or that way? Well, it's, it's this page three problem, and we all live in it. There was a snake, the liar. And the liar came up to Eve and said, hey, so you can eat from all these trees? And Eve said, all of them, but just not that one. The snake said, doesn't that look good? And it said that Eve looked at it, and then she desired it, and then she took it, and she ate it. This was the moment where they believed the lie, and they partook of it. I'm not here to be some 
fun fundamentalist that's going to say, here's all the rules, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. I want to show you the picture of where I think we went wrong because some people will say, Pastor Ryan, what, I, I just have these different desires. I don't, I don't desire people from my same sex. I desire, I, or from my opposite sex. I desire people of the same sex. So why would God give me that? Look, we're all going to have a lot of different desires. But Satan's plan, the liar's plan is to lie to you about God's good word. Savannah could eat ice cream all that she wants and cake every morning. If, if I wanted her to just go down a trail and have massive health issues, not to mention dental bills that we'd have to afford. But she trusts me because I'm dad and I haven't let her down. Silas, my curious builder, he wanted at one point to open a light socket with a key. Or not a light socket, a, an electric socket. I said, no. He said, why not? I said, because dad did that. And look what happened to me. I'm a six and a half foot tall Asian. And then he was really interested. No, he wasn't. Even. But it, it's the rules. I say, look, this is the rule. And if you go back in Genesis, God does not give an explanation. He says, if you eat this, if you touch this, you'll die. Don't do it. That's what Eve is, Eve is recapping what God said to them. But if you look in Genesis 2, God's not like, well, here's the deal. If you don't listen to me, all of history is going to unravel and it's going to spiral towards death. Everything that I've worked for is going to begin to fall apart at the seams. You're going to be at odds with your husband. You're going to be at odds with your wife. It's going to go so bad. No, God just said, this tree, don't, don't, just don't do it. This is dad's rules. This is dad's rules. But Satan, the liar, will always try to tell us a lie to get us to desire something that is contrary to God's plan. And many of us in here will have desires that are unhealthy, unpure, un unholy. Some of us will have desires for sexual encounters just in multitudes. We want to attach ourselves to people because we're trying to fill some relational void, not realizing that we have a quantum entanglement happening over and over and over again. Some of us will struggle with desires of same-sex attraction. Some of us will struggle with objectifying people because if you don't know, pornography is quite an epidemic in our modern culture. And we'll objectify people. And when we do this, we're believing a lie that a person can be objectified. We're believing a lie that there is no quantum entanglement. There is no spiritual connection. It's just a physical act. We're believing a lie that God created sex, this amazing gift, as his image bearers, and then he gives us the ability to make more images of him. Have you ever thought about that? That we were made in the image of God, and God says, you know, I don't know what power I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the power to make more images of me through one of the funnest things you'll ever do. Hallelujah. And Satan comes after that to try to get you to follow your every desires. But here's one of the key ways that I started to catch on, that Satan, he's a sneaky little liar. Because when I came to Christ, I repented and, and asked for forgiveness for all the things that I had done with the girls that I had encountered in my teenage years. And I called myself a born-again virgin. And it was, it was like, yeah, for God, I'll do this. And, um, and then, as a young Christian man, you, you date. And have you ever noticed, like, like when my wife and I were dating, sorry, babe, don't blush. Um, when you're dating as a Christian couple, you're like, you're, you're holding out and waiting for marriage. You're like, I'm going to be pure because I love God. I'm striving after him. And every date night is like the hottest and heaviest thing. It's like a battleground for the Lord. 
You're like, Lord, I must be pure. You're repenting, you're praying, and you're like, I'm, Lord, if I fail, I please no, I just got to do this for you. And you just can't keep your hands off of each other. Because that's Satan's plan. Satan says, you have this desire, go for this desire. And here's where I caught on to his sneaky little stupid plans. Because did, did any of you men notice, or women, that like six months into marriage, where six months before you couldn't keep your hands off each other, fast forward six months, and all of a sudden you're reading the brochure, you're like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> the brochure says that I'm like swinging from the chandeliers every night. It's like a sexual buffet appetite, and I'm just here in my living room with the neighbors calling because I'm like, oh! And it's, no one told me that it goes like somewhere else. And that's before you have kids. Because while kids are little images of God's creation, they are also little images of sex prevention. <laughs> and you're laughing, but, but think about it. How crazy that w within months you can go from like, we can't keep our hands off of each other, to then all of a sudden months later, the lie that Satan is, is spreading into marriages is this. Oh, like, yeah, you, you guys did the one flesh thing. Like, yeah, whatever. You don't need to. You're too busy. There's a headache involved. Someone feels sick. Apparently Asians can't eat lactose too often. That's me, by the way, in case you can't tell. I'm half Asian, but my external half I got from my mother. And it's this, this crazy thing, because Satan's lie is this. He's going after what God's foundation part of creation was. God says, I'm going to set up this core that's going to show off so many things. It's going to be this procreation. One of the purposes of sex is for procreation. And that was so good. And Satan says, I want to figure out a way to, to get into that. Because that's, that was God's first thing. He told Adam and Eve, we're going to try to figure out a way to mess with God's plan, to make more images of himself, to reflect his goodness to the world around us. So sexuality is tied to things even like abortion, tied to things where, where we harm children, where we devalue and objectify people. Because it was for procreation. Sex was created for this quantum entanglement because God is showing us in our limited capacity that this spiritual, physical union is a mirror of his love for us because we are the bride of Christ. And our intimacy, our quantum entanglement with each other is a, is a shadow to give us a taste. Like This is what life with God will be like, so connected, so involved, so loved, so vulnerable. Because when Adam and Eve failed on page three and got kicked out of the garden, they were no longer naked and unashamed. They were covered and clothed and full of shame like some of us may be in here today. But God's purpose is for sex. Satan wants to come after them because they are the foundation. We, we live right by MacDill. There's a lot of military people here. I'm no military person myself, but as I understand it, when you're going into warfare, like the big scheme picture, you want to have a strategy. We're going to take out the enemy. Let's take out their communications tower thing. Let's take out this hub over here where they're getting resupplied. And then we're going to send in the infantry troops. Satan is doing that with us in our sexuality in this culture today, unlike any time in human history. He's coming after the core. And if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, look around. Because God's plan was we're going to make strong relationships built on intimacy, love, and trust, and spiritual connection. And those are going to create strong families when they procreate. And those families are going to make beautiful gatherings in cities and then churches. And when the family is strong and the cities are strong and the churches are strong, this world will grow in their love for what is good and true and pure. And Satan says, yeah, I'm going to go to the bottom of this and I'm going to hit the communications hub. I want to implode sexuality. No, no, it doesn't matter. You, you have sex with who you want to have sex with. You have, you, you, have, you have a desire to go do this. 
Well, guess what? I'm Satan. I'm the master of getting humans to follow their desires. Come listen to me. It's okay. Do this. Go here. Sleep with them. Go have this relationship with them. It doesn't matter. And over and over and over again. And if you look at the statistics where families implode, cities implode. I mean, the reason that some of you guys moved into Fishhawk is because you Googled best schools in Tampa area. And you drove through the winding maze that is Fishhawk. And you saw people jogging and waving and smiling, sipping a Starbucks. It's a great day in Fishhawk. And you're like, this is a family-oriented community. And you felt a draw to that. Now, just bear in mind, Fishhawk is a, can be a fake draw. Fishhawk is like teeth veneers sometimes. You've got something rotten and cavity-filled, and someone just painted it white on the outside. Because in the suburbs, we hide our sin. We don't show it. But man, in the areas where Satan attacks, he's like, I'm going to remove connection before you're married. I'm going to have you connect with all these people. So that by the time you get married, you won't even recognize your soul. And then I'm going to make it so that once you get married, you're gonna, you thought that sex was a buffet. I can't tell you the number of guys who would tell me when I was a youth pastor, Pastor Ryan, I can't wait to, have, I can't wait to get married, so I'm going to have sex all the time. And I was married, and I was like, you're dumb. <laughs> you're dumb. Because Satan comes after us before to get us to switch, twist our desires. And then after we're married, he doesn't just stop. He's like, well, they crossed that uh, wedding union thing. Now I really don't know how to tempt them. Satan's not entirely dumb. He's entirely wicked, but he's crafty and evil. And he's coming after the foundation of what makes us human, our sexuality, our sexual connections, the way that we treat others who are also images of God. And it changes you. The first, very first pastoral counseling I ever did, I shared with you guys before, was a woman who came in. She was a prostitute at a local motel. And, uh, and I was so excited. It's like the first day you're like a big boy pastor, you know, like you dressed up that day, wore a collar, I think. And um, she came in and I, I thought, this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help her because she needs help. This, whoever comes in next, and they said, we have got a woman here for counseling. She walked in and she told me her story. And, um, and I thought, you're coming to a, to a church and you're, you're a prostitute. And I in, in, instantly just branded like this is a prostitute. And then um, I was asking a little about her life. She said she had kids. And I said, where are your kids? She said, they're in the lobby. I said, bring your kids back. All of a sudden, when a prostitute brings her kids into your office, she became more than just a prostitute. She became a woman, a daughter, a daughter of God, an image bearer of God who created two other images of God. doesn't matter how they're created. Every human being bears a piece of the image of God to display him. And everything changed for me. Because... She was no longer this title. Every time you have hatred towards somebody, it's tied to your sexuality because you've objectified that person. And I'm not just talking about in a sexual way that we think of sexual. I'm saying if you see someone and think enemy, if you see someone and you just label them and you write off anything they would have to say to you because of some label that's on them, or let me put it in a very crystal clear way for this next year. Republicans and Democrats both exist in this church and love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I know, I know in my heart of hearts right now that some Republicans are thinking, well, those liberal snowflakes. <laughs> and I know that some Democrats or left-leaning people are thinking, well, those bigoted Republicans. 
when we label somebody, and that's all that we see them as, we've devalued the image of God in them, and we've given in to this lie that the liar has told us. We've gotten page three, and we've believed something about some, somebody that's not true or not complete. And that's what breaks down with sexuality. So sex, in this Corinthian church, this guy's sleeping with his stepmom. And there are purpose for purposes for sex. And then we're going to get into the rules for sex. So the four purposes, in case you want to know, at least four. There's probably more. First one is procreation we've talked about. Second one's pleasure. God created the penis. God created the vagina. God created the, um, if your kids are in here, you have to explain this, clitoris. These are like pleasure parts. These weren't Legos that Satan added on later. God created them. There's no reproductive purpose in some of the pleasurable centers of our bodies. God created it, and if you haven't read the Song of Songs, try it. And if you're having sex and it's not fun, you're doing it wrong. Come get counseling. Not from me. From someone else. And I'm outsourcing that. I mean, I just, I need you to, to listen to some of these. Like, some of the verses in the Bible, this is, these are insane. This is a guy talking to his woman, his woe man. How beautiful your feet are in sandals. Like, yeah. If you're a foot guy, I guess. Oh, noble daughter. And then he's going up her body. If you notice, your rounded thighs are like jewels. And as a father of two daughters, I'm like, you stop there. You stop. You stop. Don't touch me there. This is my no-no square. You guys got it. Okay. <laughs> Notice how all the dads memorized that, like, one time. And the daughter's like, not again, Pastor Ryan, no. Yeah, because homecoming happened last night. I've seen pictures. Jesus helped them all. <laughs> Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel. I don't know. He got from thighs to navel. I'm not blind, are you? Okay, just making sure. Now, there's parts about that other part in the Song of Songs. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. This is a good pickup line for the modern day. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. I didn't know, encircled with lilies. Like, encircled with lilies. That means that the Bible was the one that came up with the tramp stamp idea originally. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you're old. It's a weird tattoo that women use around here, a flowery thing I've heard. I've heard. That's probably not appropriate for the live stream. Can we edit that, Cody? <laughs> Here's my live verse. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your breasts are like baby deers. And I'll say it once if I've said it a thousand times. The first thing you do when you see a baby deer is you want to pet it. <laughs> Just God made sex for pleasure. And there's a whole book about it. In the book of wisdom, Proverbs, where you could read one chapter a day and finish it in most months. Proverbs, my favorite verse in Proverbs, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Like This is the Bible. If our teenagers knew that this was in the Bible, they would actually start reading the Bible. Like only a few verses, but they would go. <laughs> so I need you to understand that because so much of churches, here's, what, here's the sex rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. 
Have you thought about the sex rules where God says, have sex with each other, enjoy it often. Married people, don't go too long without sex unless you're praying and fasting, then come together lest Satan should tempt you. And I've used that line of my wife, baby, don't let Satan tempt me. Baby, don't do it. The Bible says in Corinthians 7, which we're going to get to, so I'm going to elaborate then, husbands, do not withhold sex from your wife because you, she does, you, you belong to her. And wives, likewise, don't withhold sex from your husband. That's my life, verse number two. Baby, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you're supposed to have sex. In the Song of Songs, it says that it's very creative. Now, I'm not going to get into the rules that your church dealt with with sex toys. We'll just talk a little bit about it in a few minutes here. Not about toys, but what, what are the rules in the bedroom? Because if you read the Bible, it leaves a lot of open space. But one of the purposes is this quantum entanglement. And, and in that thing, I think you have to ask yourself, what is intimately appropriate for you as a married couple? Because my family rules will, in this case, be different from your family rules, and I don't want to know about your family rules. What I want to know is this. Are you connecting in a way that creates intimacy, trust, and a lifelong spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual bond with your person? Because those will look very different. Some of you will be into things that I will never want to be into and vice versa. Some of you will have sex with the, what the statistics say, you know, on average is like somewhere around 50 to 58 times a year for certain age brackets. And then some of you are like, that's not me. I'm more of like your illustration from the six-month-in-the-marriage guy. Like, where did it go? Some marriages have sex ten times a month. Some couples that are married do no longer have physical sex. Well, isn't that unbiblical? You just said. Here's, here's the thing with sexual entanglement, with quantum entanglement. Sometimes it will be for certain seasons and certain parts of life or certain personalities and dispositions, your intimacy will be you cuddling with your spouse. Some of you will be studying the Song of Songs. And I've heard everything that you can imagine. I've got friends who say they pray before, during, and after sex with their spouse out loud. And I'm like, dog, that ain't right. <laughs> and his response to me was good. And, and he has a whole group of these friends who he's convinced to do this, me not among them. His, his, they say, here's the thing, if God created it, he created the song, why wouldn't we want the director of the orchestra to play at the song, to direct us? And I said, because it's weird. But I get it. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, maybe sometime I'll be like, thank you, God. <laughs> yes. That's it. <laughs> Prayer over for that. It's this amazing entanglement. And you have to figure out for you. Because there will be things, and the Bible doesn't restrict. There's no, I promise you, back, back then they weren't thinking, here's what we're going to do. Let's ban sex toys that have never been invented in the time of the Jewish people. A sex toy for the Jewish people, I don't know what it would have been. Some leather working equipment, some, something to do with building a mud hut. Um, they didn't have it. But the Bible is very freeing in the Song of Songs in the way that he talks about his bride and the way she talks about her husband and the type of sex that is communicated through that Hebrew poetry will make you blush. We should do like a rated R season, s series of that, like on a Sunday night with free babysitting for like three hours afterward. <laughs> the other purpose for sex is mirroring God's love for his church. We are called the bride of Christ. And if we start to build on this foundation of sexuality, things like we read about in the Corinthian church, you're like, okay, all the way back. They just kicked a guy out of church for having sex with his stepmom. 
because he was not repenting. And it's not just the act. Because so much, so often in church we think of, we look at the act. This homosexuality, transgendered issues, sex outside of marriage, sex with multiple partners, sex with other people's spouses, these things are bad no-nos, smack you on the hand if you go to a church. But if we, if we stop and we just look at the surface rules, all of a sudden we bring pain and shame and condemnation onto people. And God, in his word, starts with, he starts with, I created this beautiful thing. So when you sleep with someone who's not your spouse, it's not just that you broke this rule that I arbitrarily wrote. It said I wired this to work with such beautiful harmony. And when you do this, when you listen to the liar instead of the Lord, you say, oh, I'll give in to my desires just this one time. It won't hurt anybody. This doesn't hurt anybody. It's just a physical thing. And you take a bite. All of a sudden, it's not just an offense to this one little rule, a line item of a commandment. It's an unraveling and listening to the liar instead of the Lord. It's taking the, this sly voice of the serpent and saying, yeah, that sounds better. That sounds better because why would I have this desire if God didn't want me to fulfill it? Just like when I tell my kid, don't stick the key in the electric socket. No, you can't have ice cream and cake every day for breakfast. Because I've done this. I've walked this. I've stuck a key in an electric socket. It's not good for you. But so many of us. We listen to that whisper, that second glance, that lustful thought, that time looking at that video online, thinking about somebody other than our spouse in that sexual way, or thinking about our spouse in a perverted way and not even communicating with them. Because if we are quantumly entangled, then we can go back to, by God's grace, that naked and unashamed status that Adam and Eve have with our spouse. And all of this mirrors God's love for his church. This idea that we can go all the way back before page three and rest on page two and say, this is what love can be. Now, some of you in here are like, you don't understand the number of sins I've done. Some of you are thinking, I'm addicted to this. I can't stop thinking about this person's spouse. I've had this in my past. I went through this, this, and this. I've slept with more people than I know. I have desires for people that the church would consider like that you can't do that and still be a follower of Jesus. So here's what you can do. You can beat yourself up and be clothed in shame, or you can look to redemption. This passage in Corinthians that we're going to have to like come back to because this sermon stretches out so on so many other topics is to lay a foundation the reason why Paul said we've got to remove him because a little bit of leaven will leaven the lump. So we're going to hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, flesh meaning his sinful aspects, so that, so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. They were boasting about this. Because they thought, we're a grace church. We, we know forgiveness. And today you'll find churches that are going to say, we, we accept all, embrace all. You can come here and there's be no judgment. As we go through this chapter, you're going to find out that we are called to judge other Christians, but not the way that Christians judged in the past. Not the way that when you hear Christians judging your thinking. In the way where you grip onto God's word so tightly and you say, look, I didn't write the mail I didn't write it, but I, I love God. He's my dad, and these are his rules. And he wrote this, and he created sexuality, and it's so beautiful, and I'm trying to, to live under this. 
But instead of taking that hand with the Bible and beating people with it, we need to be a church that has that hand gripped to God's word and says, no matter what the culture says, I'm holding on to this, but my other hand will be held wide open to embrace people. Because for too long, the church has held that Bible and beat people with it rather than saying, look, these are God's truths, but I am here. And I understand that we all have different struggles because there will be people that will come here and have come here and are here that struggle with their sexuality, that struggle with their sexual past, that are wondering about their sexual future. And if we don't talk about it, if we don't walk alongside them and say, look, I want to talk to you about the amazing things that God created sex for. I want to talk to you about the design that he had behind it and the purpose of it. If we just hit them with the rules and we don't embrace them with love, they won't stick around. Because I promise you there's a rap song, a social media post, a movie, and a TV show that's going to teach us, not kids, us about sex. Whether you're absorbing it or not, we are bombarded with objectification of others. We are bombarded with reducing people to less than what God created them to be. And if we are to look at true sexuality, we must see that every person that is alive is a precious image bearer of God. And when Paul looks at this guy, he says, You've, you've listened to the wrong desires. You've listened to the liar and not the Lord. You're sleeping with your stepmom. And then you church are proud about that. We've got to get it out because it's going to spread. Some churches are spreading their view of sexuality in a very hush-hush way. Just don't talk about it. Some churches are spreading their view of sexuality in a very flamboyant, openly um, openly o- disobedient to God way. Like we, anyone can do anything. Who are you to judge? God's dad. And you you may be hearing like, I don't like these family rules. Well, guess what? I'm not the dad. I didn't write the rules. The rules are that God made us. One man for one woman to be married and united. The rule that I lean on directly following that is I failed so many times in my own life. So I run to the cross over and over and over and over again. Because for every time that I glued pieces of paper together and tore them apart, for every time I talked about sexual immorality and how it connects you to someone and then it breaks a piece of your soul away, I've been there. So I say, Lord, if not for the grace of Jesus, what would I have? I'd have my own shame, and I'd try to make my own covering. But in Christ, we can say, I'm forgiven. And yes, you will be different for those of you who have sinned in this way, for those of you who have objectified another person, for those of you who have seen another person and treated them as less than a daughter or son of God, as less than an image bearer of God. But Jesus says, all of the things I've paid for. And now within you, I'm going to give you a heart that that can finally begin to turn off the volume of the liar and turn up the volume of the Lord. And it's going to be a process for some of you. Some of you need to go to counseling, like today, look for a counselor. Some of you need to evaluate your intimacy with your spouse today. Some of you need to confess things to someone else today. But the beginning of this journey is confessing to someone who you have a quantum entanglement with or or waiting until you meet that person if you're a single person here and saying, I'm going to walk with Jesus going forward. I'm going to try to view people as more than the labels that I've been putting on them, as more than a flat image on a screen, as more than a sexual object of desire. I'm going to view them as image bearers of God. And I'm going to love them and see them as best I can as God does. And God, by the grace that's in the cross of Christ, will turn up that volume, will change your heart, and will give you forgiveness.
And if you're here and you're like, I can't, God, I can, I can never be forgiven. The things I've done are out of forgiveness's reach. Uh, I promise you there is no pit that the cross of Christ has not reached to the bottom of to carry you out of. There's no sin that God's blood cannot wash clean and make white as snow. doesn't mean that you go back to before. It just means that you start today, just like you'll start tomorrow, new again. Because the Bible says his mercies are new every day. Unless you're one of my annoying friends, then his mercies are new every day. I love you guys. So we're going to we're going to kind of circle back on this text, and we're going to keep pressing through. But this season, season two of Corinthians, is, is a lot about sex and God. There are other topics in the middle, but a lot of the topics we're going to talk about are sex and God. When we get to Corinthians 7, it's going to get heavy. And um, so let's do it. Let's pray. Father, uh, Lord, we, we, I just skipped a stone on the surface of Corinthians today, but I pray that we talked about sexuality in a way to open the conversation, to view it not as just the do's and the don'ts, but as the wiring of the universe that you created for procreation, for, for pleasure, for a mingling of souls, for a mirroring of intimacy that you have for us and love that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that we could take stigmas off of the church that prevent us from talking about sex because everywhere around us, sexual messages are being pressed in. So let the church be a voice, Lord, and I pray that your word would pierce hearts and it wouldn't lead people to shame and condemnation, but it would lead broken people like me to the foot of the cross where we can find healing and hope and restoration. Lord, I thank you and I'm grateful for you and all that you've given us. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.